lot of you have a bleak view of or where our country is headed right now. Some of you envision something like the doomsday dystopian society that resembles something like Mad Max. Others envision something like John Wick. As for me, I really think that there's some darker days ahead of us. I want to be prepared, but I also want to do everything I can to pump the brakes before we just drive over roadblocks and ditches and the precipice. I came across a quote. You guys have got to hear this. Well, it's more than a quote. It's kind of more like a story. And I know some of you are like anti-reading because we have action movies that we can vicariously live through the actors. So just hang with me because I promise the payoff is worth it. This is by G.K. Chesterton. Let me say that again. G.K. Chesterton. Quote, Suppose that a great commotion arises in the street about something. Let's say a lamppost, which many influential persons desired to pull down. A gray-clad monk, who is the spirit of the Middle Ages, is approached upon the matter, and he begins to say in an arid manner of schoolmen, let us first consider, my brethren, the value of the light, unquote. If the light being of itself is good, then boom, at this point, the light is somewhat excusably knocked down. All of the people make a mad dash for the lamppost, and the lamppost is down in less than 10 minutes. Then they go about congratulating one another and their unmedieval practicality. But as things go on, things don't work out so easily. Some people have pulled the lamppost down because they wanted the electrical light. Some because they wanted an old iron light. And some because they wanted darkness because their deeds are evil. Some thought it just wasn't enough of a lamppost, and some thought it was too much of one. Some because they wanted to smash municipal machinery, and some because they just wanted to smash something. And there's a war in the night. And no man knowing whom he strikes. So gradually and inevitably, today, the next day, there comes back the conviction. The monk was right after all. It all depends on what is the philosophy of the light. Only what we might have discussed under the gas lamp, we now must discuss in the dark. There is a war of different ideas out there. You believe something, I believe something different. Or maybe our beliefs are very, very different. But what's a really positive thing is something that's guaranteed by a constitution. The freedom of speech. That I can say my opinion and my ideas regardless of how horrible they sound to you. And you can say your ideas and opinions as well. The government is not allowed to shut us down. We are allowed to speak our peace as we see it. Both in the matters of politics and religion and all other areas. Yet, it also requires a certain amount of maturity and that hopefully 
there's some semblance of that little girl in me that used to hear all the time. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yet now we've become so utterly, pathetically weak as a culture and as individuals that words and microaggression, hate speech, can be so utterly crushing to someone. They find it justifiable to literally cancel out other people, to shut down their opinions, to ban them and censor them because their ideas are far too hard for them to cope with. What it means is that we have become so weak that we now need safe places. The whole world has become far more sensitive because of our delicate constitutions are so terribly weak that we cannot actually survive. Now to many of you, this is sounding harsh, but as a woman that really loves history, I can look back on all of the centuries before us, and they were just wars to just stay alive, to survive. Most of the world knows that struggle, you know, the struggle where they are farming hard with early days and longer nights and collapsing with exhaustion, hoping and praying that their village does not get raided and their property plundered and their wives raped and their children murdered. I'm not exaggerating. This grows stronger and we ourselves grow weaker. The most damning of all is the public discourse is breaking down. Everyone seems so angry that we just want to rip down all of the old because we're so pissed and angry at whatever it is that we want to be angry about. And nobody really understands why. It's like everywhere we look, we see fence posts. But we don't want to see fence posts. What we do not want is to be shackled and hemmed in. So we tear down those fence posts. Why? Do we tear down the fence posts? And why do we not find out why they were put up in the first place? People have spent their lives in the past with all of their brilliance and their imaginations, and they've been surviving to pass on some age-old principles. And right now, our society wants progress, and that's not a bad thing. Yet in order to grasp today's progress, we must learn from the past. I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the past. Not to correct the past, but to learn from it. And what I have a huge issue with is the destroying of anything that looks traditional and historical because they do not like it or it holds them back. It makes them feel unfree. It is like raging against everything in the past that they do not understand. And we are, in a sense, like turtles that look on our shells and say, look how unfree we are with these shells. And so we escape the shell just to be destroyed a few feet down the path. That is what is happening right now in destroying all semblance of the past by rejecting all traditions 
by saying that our parents got it all wrong, there's a huge distinction. And these people are making war on every type of authority, everything in the past, everything for the future, everything in tradition. And I cannot believe that I, Kate Krzyzewski, have become such a curmudgeon. I am sounding ancient, aren't I? Yet it is the craziness that has pushed me to be like this. Our parents, our grandparents, and forebears actually had some good lessons to teach us. Now, all of this reminds me of a George Orwell quote in the book, 1984. Quote, every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book has been rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and every street has been renamed. Every record has been altered. The process is continuing day by day, minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless presence in which the party is always right. Unquote. This nails today more than ever because there's an ideology that wants to literally rip down and destroy our statues. It wants to look back in history and then destroy it. They've been rewriting our history for a very long time now, yet we know the contribution or at least most of us do, that are my age and old, or whether it be our founding fathers or those elevated in stature along the way, society now sees one or two words or sentences ascribed to these contributors, and they scream out, racist. They refuse to acknowledge or even care to know the truth or the real contribution of that person. They just want to be angry about something. Or they just want to be angry. When they feel themselves looking back and saying, how could we possibly look up to that person? Well, if you do not know the answer to that question, it's because history has been removed and rewritten for you. And all that exists is the ideological party right now. That party line of this person is evil and you should hate them and you believe it what has and is happening is propaganda the statues are being taken down history is being rewritten as Karl Marx said quote the first battleground is the rewriting of history unquote he also said that the only way we can change our identity of the people now is to rewrite the past You can rewrite the present however you want. That's why George Orwell also pointed out, he who controls the past controls the future. And he who controls the present controls the past. People, listen to me. I get that progress is important. But if we destroy all of the traditions and the history that came before us, we lose identity In the present, everything is going to be destroyed. You cannot possibly remove the foundation of a building without the entire structure falling in upon itself. 
We're watching this play out, and everyone seems so angry. And I'd love to say that I have all the answers, but I don't. We have this war against anything that is good in the past, and everything is being rewritten and dismissed in the name of progress. The leftism ideology is destroying our way of life, destroying our history, destroying our constitution, destroying our nation. If we cannot see it clearly for what it is and hold on to the values that anchor us, God, family, culture, doing what is right, standing up when the time comes to pick up arms, to help the helpless when the mobs converge, being bold and being protectors, then we deserve what we get. This is my declaration against the destruction of everything, that we rally together to be a quenching thirst against the fire that is raging against our nation. That is you and I. I really don't have an action point other than to grow as individuals and hopefully the tide rises all ships. Most of the individuals on the left are corrupt and then they're shocked when the mirror is pointed on them. The ideology that is poisoning the well is spreading and growing and it is a philosophy of death. Oh, but Kate, you're being dramatic. No, I'm being real. Get your heads out of your asses and open your eyes. See what is happening and stop rationalizing it away. It's not too late, but it almost is. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate. The introduction music and lyrics is entitled, America is Dying, But It's Not Too Late, by Dave Bray and Jeremy Harrell. Go on over and check out Dave Bray's patriotic music on YouTube. The rest of this broadcast is for mature audiences. I will be discussing some graphic details of human trafficking and what we should expect if Biden is allowed to steal this election. Listener discretion is advised. This is a call-in show, so if you want to call in and make a statement, ask a question, or just give your opinion, please feel free. The number is 786-245-8127. Or if you call in using Skype through PSN Radio, that number again is 786-245-8127. Uh, thank you for joining us on uh, War and Pandemic. You've got some breaking news we've got to talk about. It's one of the reasons we have Sidney Powell over here today. Something very disturbing. There's been a site called America, the American Report. It's got a woman named Mary Fanning's done some incredible reporting, particularly about a, uh, a guy named Dennis Montgomery. What is it, uh, this, this thing that's going around about this, this project or this system called Hammer? Explain to our audience... Uh, what this is and, and why it why should be of such concern to people in this current situation that we're in. Uh, yes, I will, Steve. <clears throat> the fact is is that Hammer is a what we call a SIGINT, a signals intelligence program that the uh, NSA came up with years ago. The uh, CIA picked it up under the Obama administration, and I broke it in in March of 2017 about what they were doing on the Russian hopes. But the fact is the Obama administration took this system and they put in an application in this SIGINT program called Scorecard. And Scorecard changes votes at a certain point in the voting stream. And if I can, and by the way, uh, the Obama administration used it in the 2012 election in Florida. And so both Obama and Biden are very familiar with this. Now, I've got to make a quote okay, here. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's important that we all understand it. 
is by Joseph Stalin. I consider it completely unimportant who in the party will vote or how. But what is extraordinarily important is this. Who will count the votes? Now, Steve, we have a desperate Democratic Party that will do anything to bring the country to a totalitarian state and as far left as they want. They used it in the primaries and uh, Bernie lost to Biden because they used it in the primaries. So it is ready to go. I just found out about this yesterday. Sydney has played a very important role in assisting me and and Mary Fanning and Alan Jones and trying to get the word out so the American people know all this enthusiasm you're talking about in Pennsylvania gets changed very quickly with this software program that switches 3% of the votes. Okay, 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 hang on a second. Hang on a second. General McInerney, I want you to give just quickly your bona fides. Talk just briefly. Give me a minute for the audience on your career. Okay, 35 years in the Air Force, I ended up the number three man in the Air Force uh, in the headquarters. I had four tours in Vietnam. I commanded the raid on Tripoli in 1986. We attacked Tripoli from uh, my headquarters in England. Uh, I was then the vice commander-in-chief of U.S. Air Force of Europe and then the commander of Alaskan Command and Alaska NORAD region. Uh, so I had a very extensive operational uh, career and uh, I'm in the cloud business now and that's why I'm so intimately familiar with what hammer and scorecard can do and nobody knows it. Nobody okay, knows Okay, now it. I w- also you're one of the most revered officers in the U.S. Air Force, an unbelievable career. I want to go to Hammer. Hammer was the single most important and the single most sophisticated, basically, system that came up after 9-11 for really intelligence or counterintelligence about radical Islamic jihad and the ability to monitor that. Is that is that how the beginning of this started? was a foreign surveillance system that allowed... Uh, the, 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 the national security and intelligence apparatus to watch our enemies. Is that, the, is that how this thing started? That's how it started, Steve. Very sophisticated. Very, very capable. And, and the fact yeah, is it, one- it, was then, it was then adopted with the software packages like on your iPhone to the voting business. And it was to be used and it was used in foreign countries. And so it was then moved over into the CIA, and they started looking at U.S. citizens. That is illegal. The CIA cannot look at U.S. citizens, and only the FBI with the proper FISA warrants, etc. Sydney knows all about this. You know all about this. And it is extremely important that this, that this was taken out of the CIA when the Obama administration left. They used some kabuki to get it out they still have it up and running we know where it is located we know it's active tonight it's active they've been looking at a whole host of things as has the dnc using false ips and they are looking around and they're trying to set up this voting thing uh, that happens on tuesday night it's going to look good for president trump but they're going to change and that's the danger that America and everybody must realize. 
I just want to mention, we've got about two minutes here. In the next segment, uh, Sydney and I are going to drill down on this a little bit more, and we're going to talk about some polling other things, but hopefully get you back before the end. Uh, Dennis Montgomery. The last time the audience heard about Dennis Montgomery, he was being uh, rounded up at his house. He had 47 hard drives, I think, he had taken from, uh, from uh, Fort Meade. How does Dennis Montgomery fit into this story? He's a genius, and he loves America. Dennis invented him. Dennis invented Scorecard. He's the programmer that made all this happen, and he's on our side. And at great personal risk, as well as he hasn't benefited financially from it. Uh, he is an absolute genius. And so he's extremely important to what's going on. It would have happened in 2016, Steve, except something happened to it that night when the Obama crowd and the Democrats tried to use it. I can't talk about that. Dennis Montgomery is like the character uh, Nash in Beautiful Mind. I mean, this is one of the smartest programmers ever. He wrote this incredibly sophisticated program. And, it, and, and that's why this event in August of 2015, when he was basically gathered up, and he had the 47 hard drives. Heck, we got one hard drive from Hunter, and we're still going through information. Um, he did this, as we now know, he did, he did this to essentially save his country and expose what's going on. What was he trying to expose, and what should the American people know today on the eve of this election that 250 flag officers sent a, a letter to President Trump, said it's the most important, including my old boss, Tom Hayward, who said it's the most important election in the history of the republic. What is, what is Montgomery trying to tell us? What is the message we need to hear today? Well, he's telling us right now, Steve, that we are on the verge of being compromised through cyber warfare of what he is a master of, the most brilliant person in our country on cyber warfare, and they have used this. They moved it from the intelligence, a very highly secure program, and they've moved it from there over to political treachery, and that's what it is. When they moved it out of the CIA, they moved it for their political use as they have politicized the intelligence community, as we saw in the Russian hoax and what they've done to General Flynn. All these things are in this force that you and Sydney have been talking about that want to change America from what it is. It goes back to the Electoral College, to the Supreme Court. All these things are bundled to change America from being a democratic republic to a totalitarian regime. That means a socialist country, which the next step is communism. And that's why there can be no agreement between this Democratic Party and the Republican Party. One choice is freedom. One choice is communism. It's that simple. You're going to be able to stop Hammer and Scorecard? Oh, we intend to stop Hammer and Are we mad yet? Are we angry yet? Look around you. Look around your city and town. Look at your neighborhood. Now narrow it down. Look at your family and your friends. What do you see? Well, most of us see people trying to make it from paycheck to paycheck, paying bills, and most barely squeaking by. 
what you just heard and just witnessed from one of the most esteemed generals of our military is very disturbing. We knew it was happening, but now we can prove it. And let me tell you what happens if Biden is allowed to steal this election. We do not just lose our Second Amendment rights to own our firearms. We lose everything that we have fought for in our lives, in the military, in our Constitution. Am I angry yet? Not yet. We know human trafficking will be the new normal. Pedophilia will be accepted like it is in several other states already. And do you know what human trafficking do you know what human trafficking looks like? I'm gonna tell you part of a true story about a young teenage girl from over thirty five years ago. But first let me tell you about real anger. We cannot afford the luxury of anger. I've made that mistake. I've made the mistake of opening myself up and caring, of loving, only to have that love taken from me in war overseas. Then I stopped caring. And for many years, I hardened my heart and decided I'll never care that deeply again. And I almost succeeded. Is working to stop human trafficking a form of passion? A deep-seated love affair that, with the known or the unknown? Is that not a form of caring? Dedicated to my craft, I poured myself deeper into training. The more I trained, the deeper into my soul that I got. And I thought that I'd conquered anger in my life, at least until recently. The demons that have haunted me for years had laid dormant, waiting for their time to pounce once again. Anger, a feeling that I'd not felt for many years. The demon that I'd conquered has resurfaced. My stepbrother, Jeff, I had nine stepbrothers, and Jeff was the closest one in my age, and he was my best friend for as long as I could remember. He was my mentor along with a woman master who taught me the martial way, the art of budujutsu, since I was three years old. I lost Jeff in the Vietnam War, but his teaching never left me. I started at three years old, and I lost Jeff when I was 10. I was not allowed to competition fight in any of the arts, not because I wasn't that good or that I, or that I was good at all, but because I was angry. And nobody knew how to conquer that anger when they saw it in my eyes, just as I would step into the ring. Jeff could see it, and my mentor could see it, and they would kick my butt in a heartbeat because they knew that they could use that disease against me. And then that made me angry. And so the cycle continued. According to the thinking of many of the swordsmen of old Japan, there are five basic sicknesses to which the martial artists could fall victim. The sicknesses are fear, doubt, worry, surprise, and anger. Many of the spiritual elements and much of the psychological training in the Budo now, as then, 
has been directed at overcoming or preventing these illnesses. These afflictions are deadly and insidious. A man is like steel, goes the Japanese proverb. Once he loses his temper, he is worthless. Jeff, being my sensei, had a different, rather more direct way of expressing the same sentiment. He brought it to my attention one afternoon when he was teaching me out in a meadow that was below the old cemetery near our farm in the Ozarks. We were practicing with wooden sticks. At the time in my training with him, I was experiencing a phenomenon every serious badoka has encountered at one point or another. I was forgetting the kata. A kata is a, a detailed choreographed pattern of movements that's practiced either solo or in pairs. I had reached a stage in my learning where sections of the different kata I'd been taught were getting muddled in my head. I was just a little girl of seven years old at the time. The movement of different kata were all running together. And even more infuriating, during the execution of the sequence of the particular kata, all of a sudden, I drew a blank. Some of the movements I'd been doing for more than two years over and over again, suddenly, with tremendous frustration, they were gone, vanished from my brain. My body would stop as if my nerves and muscles had short-circuited. And it was maddening. It was especially hard to bear for someone who has a pathetically low frustration level as a seven-year-old. It was worse when I stalled. And Jeff, who was acting as my opponent in the kata, would simply stand there, expressionless, waiting for me to execute a technique that I could not, for the life of me, produce. He would say, I finally snapped. Jeff's response was so fast that it was completed over, done, and long before I realized that he'd even started, unless than it took me to complete the interjection. He snapped his wooden sword against mine and flicked it over using the power of his hips in an action that took my weapon right out of my hands. My sword wheeled over in the air a few times and bounced off the ground. And simultaneously, I felt with a distinct sensation that my wrists had just been yanked out of my forearms. At least that's what it felt like. Anger is a luxury, he told me quietly. One that you cannot afford. Anger in that sense is much like your mind taking a vacation. When you take a vacation, you have the luxury of going for a swim, a hike, or just loafing around all day if you want. And anger may not be quite lingering. And although few would deny that it's a satisfying way of letting off steam when you're really irritated, just as I did with my imprecation out in the meadow when I could not remember the kata. When I lose my temper or I become inner angry, I indulge myself. I focus on my problem, forgetting about my opponent. 
then this is a demon that I thought I'd conquered. On the battlefield, the place where those kata are intended to be implemented, that kind of self-indulgence could have cost me my life. As a budoko, the price I would have to pay for that luxury is far too dear. And sometimes we wish to believe that anger pumps us up. If the goal is simple enough, maybe that is the case. If you have to kick down a door, get me angry enough and I'll be able to do it. But the physical combative skills of a martial artist are not simple. You must be aware of the distance, the timing, the actions and reactions of an opponent, the possibility of encountering more than one attacker, and the list goes on. In such a complex situation, anger has no business being there. Another belief about anger is, and we see it quite often in films and other forms of dramatic entertainment, is it can motivate us to be brave under situations of great stress. Again, in limited instances, this could be so, but depending on anger as a source of energy can have some serious consequences over time. Anger involves the adrenal glands in the body. And this may not be the most scientific explanation, but some people do not know scientific explanations, so I'm going to make it simple. The adrenal the adrenal glands, the adrenals squirt their juices into us in moments of stress or anger or danger. And what follows is a complex process. But the upshot is that blood pressure, heart rate, respiration, all of these functions go into a quick overdrive. It's as though the body is like your family car, revved up with the pedal to the floor and then driven as fast as it can go, all in a matter of seconds, before even allowing the car to warm up. Now, if there's an emergency and you have to go somewhere fast, it's nice to have transportation that can get you there. If you try that with your car on a regular basis, though, it won't be long before the engine and transmission are in trouble. That's the same with your body. Those whose professions depends upon violent or dangerous encounters, you know, soldiers, police, firefighters, executive protection, fighters against human trafficking, they soon learn of the negative consequences of depending on an adrenal-fueled anger to meet these situations. The body can handle occasional bursts of anger, but when anger becomes a conditioned response to stress, the cardiac surgeons start scrubbing up. I assure you. As a species, we have not evolved chemically or emotionally to remain healthy under this kind of stress. Anger wastes energy indiscriminately, usually at a time when we need to preserve energy and use it to our maximum benefit. It focuses concentration very narrowly in moments when we need to be more cognizant of what is going on around us. It robs us of self-control precisely when we need most to be in control of ourselves. It would be idealistic to hope that through training, we could completely eliminate anger that is sometimes within us. But in my own case, I just strive to be better, to fight and win. If our Budo training cannot eliminate our anger, 
It can teach us to recognize what our anger is really about and to see that more often than not, it is an emotion that we cannot ill afford to indulge. I tell you this because we have every right to be angry right now, but we need to learn to curb that anger. It is difficult for me to curb that anger knowing that Joe Biden could possibly take the White House. Imagine, if you will, it is a week after your 13th birthday. You're a blonde-haired, green-eyed young lady, full of innocence, youth, and the wonder of the world. Your family had taken you to Greece for your birthday present because you wanted to explore a portion of some old ruins. It was prearranged, of course. Your mother was going to meet you later at the ruins as your stepdad and your eldest stepbrother took you to meet your guide. You walked away from the adults and found yourself amidst some large boulders that borders a forest tree line. And you watch as your stepdad talks to the guide. They shake hands. Then they walk away. You sense danger. You hide behind a large rock and watch as your stepdad and your stepbrother laugh as they drive away in the same vehicle that you just arrived in. The guide begins to look for you, calling out your name. The guide walks in the other direction towards some other ruins, and you decide to run. You don't know where. You just run toward the trees, and you stay as low as you can, as your grandfather had taught you during hunting seasons in the United States. You make it to the tree line, and you keep running. The muscles in your skinny little legs are feeling the strain from running. It's no longer morning, and noon has long passed. You cannot run anymore. Yet you cannot escape, so you somehow keep running. You cannot see who's chasing you, for there's more than one of them now, but you can feel them. You know they're there. They're moving at a steady pace. They're taunting you. You run to a small clearing and collapse in the wet leaves. You can feel your heart racing as if it's going to beat out of your chest. The heaving hurts your lungs in the wet, cold air. And then you feel it as if a hammer has struck your skull. The pain surges all the way down to your toes and everything goes blank. You can taste the blood in your mouth as you awake. But you don't dare move. Not just yet. Fear is on the verge of gripping you. You open your eyes slowly. And you see that you're in a heap at the base of a tree. A shaft of sunlight breaks through the rain clouds and spills onto the ground. Where you see that someone has hammered four iron stakes. To which they've looped four lengths of rope. Except for the steady drip from the leaves. It it is silent. You look past these four iron stakes and you see four bodies of two young boys and two young girls, all about your age, each stretched out naked and spread eagle. They were alive. Their mouths were taped closed, but their eyes were wide and screaming. You half walk and half stumble to the closest girl and take the tape off of her mouth. You hear her cry, run. Your brain is trying to will your body into moving, but your body refuses to comply with the demand. Somehow, you find yourself on your feet, 
and your body is moving slowly at first, then your steps become quicker. You knew that eventually your stepdad was going to do something. You heard him bragging about it, selling you when he would get falling down drunk. But you never knew the details. He must have been waiting for just the right time, and you're overwhelmed by the emotions that finally are blasting through you. Rage, helplessness, fear, anger. All of these months you had suppressed these emotions because you knew that as long as you were there with your grandparents, you were safe. Your stepdad could not reach you. He could not hurt you. The nightmares had merely been aftershocks, lingering echoes of an old terror that you hoped would eventually fade. Now fear and anger has made perfect sense to you, and they have you in their jaws. No amount of training with Jeff or the mentor could have prepared you for this. Your breathing becomes labored as your head begins to spin out of control. Something is gripping your soul and you cannot move. It's hard to breathe. You manage to stumble to some thick brush and you collapse. You hear voices, men's voices. You see a knapsack on a branch and it droops like a heavy fruit on a fruit tree weighed down by the instruments that were inside. You see a man assembling the cold steel of the items from inside of the knapsack, and he was familiar with each piece. He walked out onto a path, and he just stood there, seemingly to wait for something. He could hear you breathe, but he did not come closer to you. He just smiled in your direction. The men were waiting for something. You could hear one of them say, Everyone likes to watch. You decide to make a run for it while the men are fondling a young boy. You slowly make your way to another patch of brush. Each footstep seems more frantic than the last. The men seem to be ignoring you. So you begin to run. The men begin to laugh, taunting you and calling out your name. In broken English, you hear, I will toy with you and enjoy the moment. I will eat off of your fear and feel you struggle between your legs before I take you and your screams will never be heard. You feel a thick, sickening thud on your head. The running stops. There's silence in the woods and everything goes dark. The silence in the woods was deafening when you woke up. Your head's bloody and you cannot move. The traffickers were merciless to the young boy. His cries of pain were heart-wrenching, yet the more he cried in pain, the more traffickers laughed. Now, you are tied and naked to the four iron stakes next to another young girl. Your legs are spread out to where a man was using his fingers to probe your vulva, and then your vagina is entered with an instrument to confirm that you're still a virgin, with the hymen still intact. A good price will be paid for you at auction. During that first night, three more men came with a female toddler about three years old. The screams of pain from the child were beyond imaginable, as these poor excuses for men repeatedly raped her until her lifeless body was thrown onto the fire. The burning stench of the flesh made us all vomit, 
And we were choking. We were not released from our bonds until the next afternoon. You could smell the urine and defecation. Was that from you or from the others? You can still smell the burned flesh of the toddler. Six men looked at your naked body. Your developing new breasts are fondled and touched where no man should ever be allowed to go. They need to leave you a virgin. So they move to the next girl during the night. She is not a virgin. She is repeatedly raped until she passes out. The next morning, we're cleaned up and dressed. One by one. And then shackled to the inside wall of a panel van with no windows. You are separated from the others at a warehouse and placed in a large room of cement walls with no windows. There's a toilet and a sink in the corner to be shared with four other young girls ranging in the age of six years old to 17 years old. You are all virgins. You were ordered virgins, which means that a higher bidder had ordered a blonde-haired, green-eyed, 13-year-old virgin of your height and weight. Your stepdad paid his gambling debts with your sale. This true story continues even though you have been rescued. I can go on about the abuse, the torture, the death, the traffickers, the auction, the process that was witnessed, the rescue. But why? You get the gist. You do not have to use your imagination to know. It is factual knowledge that Joe and Hunter Biden not only endorse human trafficking, but they frequently partake in human trafficking. This will become the new normal within the borders of our nation. This is what we will have to endure if Biden is allowed to steal the election and is sworn in as president. History is being rewritten. Our Constitution is being destroyed. Innocence is lost in our children. Lives will be ruined, lost, and destroyed. It's already happening. And none of us can allow the anger to control us. We need calm heads and steady hands. The $65 billion a year human trafficking industry is about to climb to double, if not triple, if Biden steals the presidency. We cannot afford the luxury of anger. The next victim could be you or someone you love or someone that you know. Human trafficking is not only about sexual trafficking. There's slavery in human trafficking. You could be ordered. Think about that and let that soak in. Oh, but Kate, that's not going to happen to me. Really? Think about it. 
Let it soak in because it can. Are you ready? Are you ready to have your nation taken away from you? Are you ready to sit back and watch this happen? Or are you going to allow anger to coddle you, to fear? Instead, turn the predator into the prey. You coddle the anger. You coddle the fear. You take them and you throw them away. And you think with a calm head. That is the only way that we will be able to beat this. This ends the broadcast for me tonight. This is a sober night for me as I watch the embers from the campfire slowly die down. Thank you for joining me. Train hard. Train smart. And survive. Thrive and stay alive. This is Kate. Signing off until next time. Freedoms that we share. Jeremy Harrell. But America is dying. Let's go.